going to talk about something that's in short supply all over the world, but especially right here in America. Gratitude. That's because, do you realize I have opportunity to teach other places in the world? We, we are a nation of complainers filled with high expectations and accustomed to instant gratification so that we rarely ever express gratitude for ordinary things like food, heat, clothing, cars, phones, jobs, taste buds, sight, hearing, and a steady heartbeat day after day. Instead, we just assume these ordinary things that many people around the world, it's not ordinary. It's a high concern. We assume these ordinary things and complain loudly about what we think we don't have. And this lack of gratitude has been apparent for a while now. Because Oz Guinness says, in his book, Notes from the Underground, in 1864, Dostoevsky wrote of humanity, quote, if he's not stupid, and Dostoevsky is saying he's not stupid. I know people are not stupid, so what's going on? If he's not stupid, he is monstrously ungrateful, phenomenally ungrateful. In fact, I believe that the best definition of man is the ungrateful biped. Philosopher Albert Camus wrote something similar when he said, man's first faculty is forgetfulness. And then Oz Guinness gives this insightful clarification. I want you to realize Christians are not the ones in a camp that's just full of stupid people. Let me help you here. Do you realize Christians, when you embrace Christianity and you embrace the authority of God's word and the revelation to us of who he is and what's going on, you get insights that the rest of the world don't have, clarifications that explain what our world stays so confused about. Have you noticed how often they're like, how could someone shoot up a whole school? How could someone do this to someone? What is going on? They must be insane or chemical imbalance. No, the Bible gives an explanation for why human beings can be so atrocious towards one another. Listen to what Oz goes on to say. He says, ingratitude and forgetfulness are ultimately moral rather than mental. They are the direct expression of, say it, sin. You understand what he's saying? He's saying this forgetfulness and lack of gratefulness is not a mental brain problem. It's a moral heart problem. Forgetfulness ungratefulness, forgetfulness, ungratefulness. It's coming from a heart problem. You forget what God and other people are doing for you every day and you don't say thank you. And you, don't, you forget forgetfulness, ungratefulness, forgetfulness, ungratefulness. It's a heart problem. He goes on to say, no culture has nourished such tendencies as consistently as ours. We pride ourselves on being autonomous, self-created, and freestanding. Oh, listen to this. A modern world with no need of God produces modern people with no sense of gratitude. Oh, that's good. 
I mean, it's bad news, but it's so accurate. We've got this modern world. We've come so far. Guess what? In this modern world, we think we've moved past any need of God. When you see no need for God, you will express no gratitude for anything. These two things go together. And so listen to me. A grateful heart is not something you want to try to stir up once a year during the week of Thanksgiving. Oh, no, no, no. You want to be working on this. You ready? Every day of your life. Stay with me. Because it changes how you live. Do you realize gratitude changes how you live? Because it becomes a lens through which you see the world differently. It actually enables you. Some of you are struggling, saying, why is my life the way it is? I want better. I want more. I want more peace. I want more joy. It enables you to do things you can't do when you don't have gratitude. And it enables you to see things. You'll see things differently, and you'll be able to do things you couldn't do before. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, because here's what I want you to realize. Look at me a minute. There are so many good things clustered around this one thing. Don't you love it when you can get a hold of one thing that enables you to do a bunch of other things better? That's what I'm about to show you today. This one thing, gratitude, has all kinds of other good things clustered around it that I think some of you are desperately wanting. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Let me help you here. Don't think like, okay, maybe 10 yards away. By law, in that day, they were required to remain 50 yards away from any healthy person. If you like football like I do, put it in perspective. That's half a football field. That's a long way away. So it makes sense what's about to be said next. And they lifted up their voices. Yeah, I bet they did. They had to, in unison, shout to be heard. He's 50 yards away. And they are exiled outside of the city as outcasts with leprosy. Who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Look at me. The reason he's doing that is the priests in that day served on multiple levels. They served basically as health inspectors. They were the ones that approved, are you clean? Can you be back in normal community again? Go show yourself to the priest. And as they Went. So they turned around and headed towards the city. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now you need to realize that leprosy was horrific. Leprosy was horrific. Your limbs would gradually shrivel and pull back inside your body. You would lose fingers. You would lose nose. You would lose toes. And it smelled wretched because your flesh was rotting. This was the most feared disease in that day. And you were not just physically unclean. You were socially and spiritually unclean. Because, oh, to boot, they had a mindset that said, if something like that happens to you, you're also under the curse of God. That's what these ten lepers had been living with. 
And as they turned, they were cleansed. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That word well right there in the Greek is not the same one he just used for cleansed. It is the word that was used all through the New Testament for saved. Made well spiritually. Ten were healed physically. One got saved. And his biggest problem was also solved. Go your way. Your faith has made you well, saved, made right before the holy, holy God. Oh, what can we learn? So what can we learn about gratitude and how it changes your life? Here's the first thing. Number one, a grateful heart sets you apart. Oh, my goodness, a grateful heart sets you apart, you guys. You realize it will cause you to stand out because it is sadly so rare. Rare. Want to create an awkward moment anywhere, in the neighborhood, at a wine and cheese open house, in the gym. Just be grateful and say you love your wife. I'm so grateful for my wife, grateful for my kids, grateful for my job. Everyone will turn like, what is wrong with you? That's not how we connect. We complain. How was your day? Awful. Oh, my supervisor, my job, oh, my kids, my wife, the ball and chain. Oh. Everyone's like, yes, yes, we rally together around complaining. Want to be awkward? Give thanks. People back away. Whew. That might get on me. It's so rare, rare, rare. Oh, right here, a grateful heart will set you apart. Look, look at verse 15, what I'm talking about. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. I want you to notice those first four words in verse 15 because they are so shockingly out of place and disproportionate to what just happened. Then, say it, one of them. You realize you can read all four gospels and you'll see Jesus feeding 5,000. You'll see him doing things for large crowds. This is the only recorded instance we have of him doing a healing of any group this size. He healed individuals. He healed two blind men. But right here, he just healed 10 lepers who were so foul and so outcast, they were outside the city in their own foul community that smelled so bad needing to stay 50 yards away from any healthy. If they did need to travel all along the road, they had to yell so that everyone could clear out of the way. Unclean, unclean, unclean. This is how these 10 had been living. But only one turned back to say thank you, thank you, Thank you. And if you don't think it bothered Jesus, look at verse 17. 
Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And what I like about the original Greek language is they can structure a sentence in a way to add a punctuation point. And Luke literally does it right here. In the original language, it literally says, the nine, they are where? Because they should be here with me, giving thanks and praising God. The nine, the nine, they are where? Where? They should be here. They should be here, praising God. One out of ten, ten percent, guess what? I don't know what you've seen in your extended family, in your own heart, in your own home, in your workplace, on your street. The math's about the same today, wouldn't you say? 10%. Because expressing gratitude is so rare. Rare. Assuming is common. Just assuming what I have and complaining about what I don't. Assuming what I have and complaining about what I don't. 10%. Because very few people take time, listen to me, take time to express it. Here's what I want you to understand from this passage. You realize we're not talking about, and Jesus is not trying to help us see, oh, you need to be grateful. You need to feel grateful. Uh Uh-uh. The passage is about expressing it and expressing it to the right person. Here's what I believe. It's conjecture. The scriptures don't say, but I know human beings starting with myself. It is very likely you guys that many of the nine, if not all nine felt grateful. Can you imagine as they ran back to the city, they haven't run. They've been missing toes. They've been stumbling They've smelled their own rotting flesh. They didn't have a nose. Can you imagine running back to the city whole with clean skin, knowing you're going to see your family again? You could work a job again. You might see your wife again. You'll be accepted again. You can worship in the temple again. So many things are going to change. It's doubtful they weren't grateful. What he's bringing home to us is it's not feeling grateful that changes your life. It's expressing it and expressing it often to the right person. That's what changes your life. Only, it's likely that all 10 felt it. Only one stopped, turned around, went back, fell at his feet and gave thanks to Jesus loudly, thanking him. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And that's why the Greek word that's used in this passage, as well as all through the New Testament, I want you to know, when you see this word, giving thanks, all through the New Testament, it is the word eucharisteo. And it literally means, it's where some of our church friends and other denominations get eucharist. When you take the Lord's Supper, it's the eucharist. Because, man, when you take the Lord's Supper, you ought to just be flooded with thanksgiving. We're giving thanks for the broken body and the blood of Jesus. The broken body, Eucharist. It's from the Greek word Eucharisteo, and it doesn't mean feel thankful. It literally means to give thanks or to express thanks. That's what changes your life. Oh, listen. 
If you never feel grateful, you'll certainly never express it. But just feeling it is not what changes your life. You start expressing gratitude out loud to the right people, and it'll set you apart. You know, so many times we want to look different, right? Do you want to be different? I want to be different. I want people to say, what do you have I don't have? I want to be his salt and his light. I want to be that peculiar people. But sometimes we take up the wrong causes thinking this is what will make me different. And very often I watch Christians, you look just like everybody else. You want to be different? You want to have people say, what do you have I don't have? Try gratitude. Try expressing gratitude out loud, often to the right people. Number two, let me show you something else. How expressing gratitude will change your life. Number two, a grateful heart. Here's what happens. Brings you back to him again and again. Some of you, you do not have intimacy with Jesus. You started with him and you're saved. You're not going to hell. Praise God. And you wonder sometimes when I talk or someone in your small group talks or you have coffee with a good friend, what am I missing? It's like they know him. It's like they actually love him. It's like he's real to them. Folks, Many of you started with Jesus and you've left him behind. You realize when I want to be with Jesus, I usually have to go back because he doesn't move as fast as we do. He's not in a hurry like we are. You will not build intimacy with Jesus in the fast lane multitasking. When I want to know him, I have to slow down, slow down and focus on him and spend time with him. What will bring you back to him? And this thing gets going, and it's like, oh, my goodness, the more I know him, the more I want to express gratitude. The more I express gratitude, the more I want to know him. This thing takes off, and, oh, it's inexhaustible because he is inexhaustible. You ever going to hit a year, you're like, well, there's nothing new to know. (laughs) There's Jesus. No, no, no. I've not gotten bored. I've not thought. I need to. It's like, oh, oh. Thank you. By God's grace, I want you to know, this is something in my life now that I'm so grateful. I talk to him out loud all the time. I give thanks out loud. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. I did it in my office. I do it all the time. I didn't like this sermon. I didn't like this outline. I didn't like anything. I got on my knees and said, God, you got to help me. You got to help me. You got to help me. What do you want to say to your people? Your people, they're not mine. And I worked for an hour and a half on the dry board, and I got excited. And I knew he did that. He did that. And out loud, I'm moving around my office. I'm sure Pastor Fannin hears it all the time. Who's he talking to? Jesus. Jesus. I get excited. I'm like, God, you're so good. You did it again. God, you're so good. You did it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping your little Crispin. There was a guy. There was a guy from Haiti in our church family forever ago. And on a testimony Sunday, he went to the microphone. And he was from an orphanage. And I'll just never forget He wanted to go back as an engineer to Haiti, and he said to all of us, so pray for little Crispin. That was his name. And that's just stuck with me. Vicky and I, he he was so sweet, so gentle, so dependent. And that was like 20 years ago, and we said to each other, oh, God loves to help his little Crispin. He helps, and he moves towards, and he builds intimacy, you guys, with grateful, humble people. Oh, Oh, gratitude will bring you back to him again and again and again and again. Look at verse 15 again. I'm still getting this out of verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, here's the phrase, 
turned what? Back. Back. Sure, he was excited to see his family. Sure, he was excited to see the workplace, maybe where he used. Sure, he was excited to see the city for the first time and see what has changed. But he said, oh, no, 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 no. There's something more important than that. He turned back. And, and you think about it. They were 50 yards away. It says he turned back, fell at his feet. Luke has skipped apart. He had to run 50 yards. So I think he was running with all his toes now. He turned back. I think he ran and fell at Jesus' feet, praising him how? In a little whisper? Loudly, loudly, loudly. Literally in the Greek, you're going to like this. It's megaphone. Hello. I know you didn't go to seminary. Can you think of an English word that sounds like that? Say it. Say it again. He went megaphone on Jesus. Megaphone. Loudly, loudly, loudly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He shouted out loud. Stay with me. Like we do at football games and during March Madness. So don't say you can't do this. Oh, well, that's not me. It's just not you with Jesus. But it's you. You, you go megaphone when your kids are be- misbehaving. Mom megaphones the kids a lot. When you're angry and when you're excited about basketball or football or I don't know what. But almost everybody has a moment when they go megaphone. Oh! So it's not can you do it. The only question is when and where do you do it? When does it show up in your life? When do you shift to megaphone? And why isn't it ever related to Jesus and the things of God and what he's done for you? Now, I know I'm coming down hard on you, so now I'm going to be kind. I'm going to say, you know what? I think I know what some of the problem is. If you're like, ugh. Because I have, to, I have to work on it myself. You ready? You have to know what to shout about. In other words, you have to be seeing enough and knowing enough that you're moved by it. Seeing enough and knowing enough that you're moved by. Seeing enough and knowing enough that you're moved by it. If you just think of salvation in very fuzzy, generic terms, you'll never shout out loud. When you see more and you know more, of what this actually means and what you've been given, I think you just might go audible at least and maybe shout. There you go. You got to know what to shout about. And so I want to try to help you today. You ready? There's something I say all the time. How many have ever heard me say your biggest problem has been solved? Want to see your hands? All three campuses. Don't think I can't see you. I see you other campuses. Get them up. You've heard me say your biggest problem's been solved. Okay. Some of you probably think he's saying that again. He says that all the time. If you'd like to actually want to shout about it, maybe the next time I say it, let me help you. Here's what's going on. For you to want to shout about something, you have to examine it 
more closely. And when you do, you'll be more amazed by it and want to give thanks for it. Examination causes you to be amazed almost in every area of life, right? You pick any field of our world. What happens when you dig into it and astrologers know more about the skies and the stars and how many galaxies? You're amazed. The more you dig in, you're an ear specialist. And the more you know about ears and hands and babies and biology and whatever it is, the more you... I read an entire book about a guy who makes handmade violins and goes and finds the tree in Germany at the top of the hill, cuts it, lets it roll down the hill, leaves it till spring. It only caused me to appreciate violins more and say, oh my goodness, a handmade violin and how that sounds. Whatever you dig into and examine more closely, you will be more amazed by and grateful for. I'd say it to you this way. You ready? Examination stirs appreciation that leads to exclamation and maybe even proclamation. You hear me talking about talking to somebody about Jesus? Some of you, that's proclamation. You say, well, I'm scared. I'm scared too. I sit there next to somebody. It's like, they can't be interested. They look mean. They look scary. She looks young. I can't relate. I've got the same excuses you do. What moves me to proclamation, you guys? Some of you need to back it up. If you don't have appreciation on a regular basis that was fostered through examination, you know details of what salvation is about. And ex- you realize exclamation simply means an abrupt cry. It just comes out, oh, all by yourself. Proclamation is a public deck. You'll never want to go public if you aren't going private on a regular basis. Like, oh, God, that's so good. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, God. And you're like, well, when does that happen? Oh, here's something I never say. When I'm reading my Bible is when this happens. This doesn't just happen when I look at a sunset. Sunsets are amazing. They tell me nothing about my salvation. It's when I'm reading my Bible, I'm like, oh, my goodness, he did that for me. Examination stirs appreciation that leads to exclamation and even proclamation. That we would be people that declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you'll have no desire to declare it to anybody if you're not exclaiming it to him and not moved with gratitude because you've examined it and like, ah, ah. So here's what I wanna try to do for you. I wanna take this, your biggest problem's been solved and take it a step further and unpack it. I wanna take this gem of your biggest problem's been solved, which is salvation. And like a gem, I wanna hold it up in the light of God's word and let that light reflect and refract off of all the glorious colors and cuts of this truth. Because just like you think about a jeweler, it's been a while since I bought a diamond, but what are they trying to do? They're trying to excite you. So of course they, they communicate to you the five C's of diamonds, the color, the cut, the clarity, the carrot, and the cost. I want, like a jeweler, to take this thing called your biggest problem's been solved, and I want to hold it up to the light of God's word, and I want it to dazzle you and stun you as it reflects and refracts off of all the colors and cuts of this thing. So that you might begin to be stirred and want to praise God out loud. So here we go. 
And I didn't just grab this. Look in your bulletin. I've given you 10 things, 10 things that had to do with your biggest problems been solved. Now I want you to know, I didn't just grab this out of a systematic theology book. Your pastor sat with his Bible and I ruminated and I thought, what are aspects of salvation, your biggest problem solved? What are the things that move me and get me to shout out loud? And then I went and I found some of my favorite verses. So don't just think, oh, there's some verses in parentheses there. These are great verses. These are some of your pastor's favorite verses related to these 10 cuts, colors, clarity, carrot, and cost of your salvation. Oh, I don't have time to slowly go through this, but I gave it to you this way because here's what I want you to do. Keep this bulletin. If you're listening online, download it and consider this week. What if you sat with this and you said, I'm gonna take one of these a day and I'm gonna pray it in and praise it out. I'm gonna pray it in and praise it out. I'm gonna pray it in and praise it out. I'm gonna get a hold of what does it mean? Number one, if your biggest problem's been solved, you realize that means you have been forgiven. Not some Not in part, not what you've done and what you're doing right now, but even what you've not yet committed, it was all placed on Jesus. And Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Oh, wow, you're forgiven. Oh, but there's more. Do you realize God could have saved us? We're enemies you realize you can forgive an enemy and still say, I want nothing to do with you. I'm not going to crush you or destroy you. I forgive you, but stay right up where you are, way over there. I don't want to know you. I don't want to be intimate with you. I don't want to be close to you, but I forgive you. He didn't do that. If your biggest problem's been solved, you have been adopted. You're a daughter. You're a son brought into the family of God called by God name. Oh, but there's more. Could you adopt someone and then treat them as second class, redheaded stepchild? Yeah, you could. He didn't. You have a robe of righteousness. You're covered in a robe of righteousness that's not your own, that's from Jesus, so that when God the Father, holy, 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 looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son, which is why he can freely love you, sing over you, delight. There are verses that say he doesn't tolerate you. He delights in you. Oh, my goodness. I'm forgiven. I'm adopted. I have a robe of righteousness And oh my goodness, something the world, all of us struggles with, and even the world writes books about it. You have freedom from condemnation and shame. You realize the world doesn't know what to do with shame? All the way back in the garden, what happened when sin arrived? They hid and they ran. They hid and they ran and they covered. And all our world's still trying to do it. How can I hide my sin, cover my sin, and run from God and other people? And when you, your biggest problem's been solved, You have freedom from condemnation and shame. Romans 8, there is therefore when? Now. How much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. There's no cloud of condemnation hanging over you, which is tied closely together with the fact that you now have the ultimate final answer for a guilty conscience. You realize your conscience that God gave you is accusing you constantly based on the law of God. And then our enemy Satan jumps in and adds to it, accusing, accusing, accusing. 
in the whole book of Hebrews. I've given you some of these verses. Look at them this week. One of the main things it talks about is a clean conscience now. Because Jesus, the final sacrifice, died and rose again and sat down so that we could be cleansed, have a clean... You realize in the Old Testament, as they offered bulls and goats and heifer and sheep, they constantly still knew, but I'm not right, based on the fact that it had to be repeated. It says they never had a clear conscience. In fact, they had a reminder of sins as every year they had to come again on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and bring that lamb. I know I'm not truly clean. I'm not really clean. I don't have a clear conscience. Guess what? Believer, child of God, daughter, son, you do because of Jesus, because of a clean conscience, which means you have unlimited access into his throne room. You can come as a child and ask dad for stuff. He's not going to say, you again? I got other kids. No, unlimited access into his presence to ask for his help because your biggest problem has been solved. And you have his spirit living in you, not hovering around you, not just arriving from time to time to help you. In you, you have a new identity and purpose. Think about how the world struggles with identity. But people are attaching their identity to gender, attaching their identity to sexuality, attaching their identity to skin color, attaching their identity to all kinds of things that will fail them. You have a new identity that your heart has longed for. You are in Christ Jesus. And you're a new citizen. That means Philippians 3. You're a citizen of another kingdom, and now you have a purpose. People are like, what's my purpose? I need a purpose. I need a purpose. I need a purpose. He gave us one. 1 Peter 2. You are the people of God now with an identity and a citizenship in heaven that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. There's your purpose. Don't quit your jobs. We can't hire all of you here. Please keep your jobs. But be an engineer, a pharmaceutical sales rep, a stay-at-home mom, a construction worker, whatever you are, and proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. But the only way you're going to do that is examination, appreciation, exclamation by yourself at home. And then it'll lead to declaration and proclamation on that street, in that workplace, in the gym, in the grocery store, on a plane. You have a purpose. Something to live for. And then, oh, all these good things, forgiveness, righteousness, robe, identity. We get good things from time to time in this world, and guess what? We have it, and then it can be taken. You have assurance and security that these things are yours forever. Cannot be taken. Cannot be shaken. Jesus said in John 10, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them what out of my hand you realize you're a believer and you have all these things not because you're holding on to Jesus so tenaciously it's because he holds on to you and never will let go he's not letting go he's not letting go he's not letting go you have a surety and security Oh my goodness, next time I say your biggest problem's been solved, I want you to think of some of these cuts and colors and clarity and carrot and cost because it cost him dearly. You realize that? But came to you freely by grace alone, through faith alone, in who? 
Christ alone plus what? There's the gem of your salvation. But let me show you another thing gratitude can help you do. Oh, number three, a grateful heart keeps you killing and cultivating some of the right things. You realize a grateful heart actually aids you in cultivating some of the right things and in killing some really bad things. I don't know about you, but it's a fight. I have a fight against my flesh and my sin nature and this world that cries out to me. So I'm looking for all the help I can get. When I find one thing that the Bible actually says will put on steroids and heighten a number of other things, I get excited. I want you to know this one thing called gratitude, expressing it out loud to the right people, it stirs up a number of other good things. First one, letter A, gratitude will keep pride from taking root in your heart. You say, whatever, there's bigger problems than that. No, there really isn't. I hope you realize pride will cause you to step into any number of other sins. It is a root sin, and gratitude will help you keep pride from taking root. It's almost like, I'd put it to you this way, gratitude is the rototiller of the heart. Pride starts to send its tentacles down, and here we go, with gratitude, it just churns it up. It can't get root. Don't hear me I say I have no pride and I have no struggle. It can't get rooted in you because, think about it, a grateful person by nature is a humble person who's focused way more on God and others. A proud person is focused on what they think they don't have, that they deserve, what people aren't doing for them, how God has failed. An ungrateful person is focused on self, self, self. Think about how an ungrateful person, they're focused on my needs, my desires, my feelings, my hurts, and the failure of everyone around me. I know I'm gonna step in a little bit here, but I'm growing weary of everybody. It's almost like a badge of honor to see who's the most broken. I'm so broken. I'm so wounded. Welcome to the fallen human race. You are not the only person who's been hurt, my friend, but we're living in a culture that is almost like it's all about them. It's all about them. My feelings, my desires, my needs, my wounds, my brokenness, and the failure of everyone around me to do enough for me. Let me help you know what fuels that. Pride. Pride. If you're sitting there and that's, that's what characterizes you, oh, man, oh, 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 when's the last time you gave thanks out loud for anything specific in your life. And let me help you. There are things you could give thanks for. No matter how messy it is, no matter how dark, no matter how broken, there are things you could give thanks for. Are you? It'll change you. It'll change you. It'll change you. Letter B. Gratitude paves the way for peace and wisdom. In a world that's blowing up right now, that's so upsetting and unsettling, Do you want some peace? I want some peace. Do you need wisdom to know how to navigate these times? Colossians chapter three, verse 15, it's interesting. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule is a Greek word that literally means umpire. Decide what a ball is and a strike. Some of you are letting things come into your heart that you shouldn't. The peace of Christ would say, nope, 
outside, outside, outside. Let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. And I think it's interesting. Three times in those two verses, he says, be thankful, give thanks. Gratitude, expressing it is embedded in those verses three times. And here's what I believe. Gratitude opens the door and makes way for the peace of God to rule you and the word of God to dwell in you. Some of it is just bouncing off some of you. You want his peace to rule you? You want his word to dwell in you? Start expressing gratitude. And it'll clear out some of the shrapnel. It'll clear out some of the rubbish. It'll clear out some of the stuff that's just choking up your heart so that peace has no place and his wisdom has no place. Letter C. Gratitude breaks the cycle of destruction in my heart. Do you realize you still as a believer and I as your pastor and a believer still have everything within me necessary to destroy myself and other people around me. Bad stuff can still happen. What breaks the cycle of that? Expressing thanks. We don't have time to turn there, but I want you to do it this week. In Romans 1, verse 21, it says, they didn't honor God, nor were thankful. And then there's those verses about homosexuality. Uh Uh-huh. Keep reading. And you go out of verse 28, and it says, they did not acknowledge God. An unthankful person doesn't acknowledge God. And then he gives a laundry list of sins that are basically horizontal relational destruction, malice, gossip, slander, brutal, unthankful, ruthless, faithless. You realize when you stop giving thanks, look at me, you start doing some horrific things to people around you. You're like, I don't want to be so mean. You're, maybe you're a mother. I wish I didn't just rip the heads off on my kids. Let me help you. Start giving thanks. Start giving thanks and watch some of that relational destruction settle down. One of the best things you could do for everyone around you is get grateful and all your relationships get healthier because you realize an ungrateful person is typically a grasping, demanding person because they don't have enough. And when you are focused on God and giving him thanks, you build intimacy and dependency and you let up on people around you. You're less demanding and less destructive. Less demanding and less destructive. And it all flows from giving thanks. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. And finally, as we close... This one might surprise you, but I think it's so cool. Gratitude puts you in sync with the rest of creation. Do you realize, look at me, of all creation, we are most out of sync. We're created, I say it all the time, we're created in the image of God, but are actually most out of sync with God. Why? We rebelled. Trees, fish, animals, plants, oceans, mountains did not rebel. They are under the curse of sin now, but we are the ones that rebelled. And so when you begin to give thanks and praise him, you just start to catch up with the rest of creation. We're going to get to Luke 19 in, a, in a, I don't know, a year. No, I don't know. <laughs> We're going to get to Luke 19 where you'll see Jesus say, If these people around the street right now don't praise me, the what will cry out? 
rocks. You realize rocks and trees and oceans are more ready to praise him and give him thanks than we are. You begin to get in sync. And here's what also, you get more in tune with heaven. When you look at scenes of heaven in the Bible, and I've given you one in your notes, Revelation 4, you will see all kinds of creatures loudly praising him and giving him thanks. You get in tune with heaven and you get in sync with the rest of creation when you cultivate gratitude and become a grateful person. Oh, listen to me. This is not one of those messages like, be thankful. Why? Because you should. Oh, I hope I've got you more excited than that. This one thing has all kinds of good things clustered around it. Let's do this together. Let's become peculiar people that examine what he's done for us, begin to appreciate what he's done for us, exclaim, thank you privately, and then go public with proclamation and begin to see people around us changed for his glory. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Give us greater awareness of what that means, what you've done, who you are, what you've done, who we are, and what's to come. Who you are, what you've done, who we are now, and what's to come. And make us people that easily and quickly shout out loud. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.